we think sometimes to get us over the top of faith, man, um, I just need a miracle. I need to see God do something great. Uh, we feel that way. And then if I see him do something great, or I see that miracle, I'm going to believe. If he heals my loved one that I'm praying for, then I'll believe. If I get this money that I really need and I'm trusting him for, then I'll, I'll be able to have faith then, man, and I'll really be a giver. Um, if he gives me this job, or if he does this, and we have these little things that we have all the time, and we look for these signs and these wonders and these miracles because we think when we see the power displayed in those things, man, my faith is going to be bolstered. Man, now I'm going to, I'm going to be able to get where I want to get. Now I'm going to feel like what I'm doing matters and makes a difference. And I'm here to tell you that that's just going to fall short every time. Simon was a man, remember last week, we talked about him. A sorcerer who had power. I'm here to tell you, there's spiritual power out there. I don't know if you've experienced it. Some people don't experience it. We live in a very rational society. I've experienced it. I know it's there. I've been a part of it, even. And I have a family member who actually was healed. One day his arm was wrong and broken and bad, and the next moment it was healed. But it was not healed in the name of Jesus. It was healed by somebody in the occult. And you go, oh, come on. Yeah. I'm telling you. There's power out there that can do stuff. There's power that can give you money. Somebody say amen to that? Oh, you need to know that. Because I can tell you, in my own family, there were people that were very, very lucky and blessed because they trusted in other things to get them money. I was dabbling in those things as well before I came to Christ and had to walk away from some of that stuff because the Lord said for sure, now you're following me, not that. So don't do that anymore. So there's power out there. There's power to be healed. There's power to have money. There's power to have success in life. The evil one will give you all sorts of things if he can use you. And if he can bind you. There's power out there. I've seen it. I know. And I know the person who received that healing in their arm. That person never received healing of their soul. They never found Jesus' love and forgiveness. And I'm here to tell you, the healing of the arm was never enough. It was not enough. Because in the end, that's not what we need. It's not enough. It's not enough to have power. It's not enough to be able to perform signs and wonders. We always build those things up and we think, oh man, that's where it's really rocking. No, it's not. You know what's enough? When you hear the God of the universe say your name. Amen. When you have God come close to you and say, I love you and I am here, I'm with you. That's enough. It only took a snap in the air when I cried out to the God and asked him if he was really there. When will he ever reveal himself to me and change me? And that snap in the air was enough. That's all it took for me. And I knew he's there. I heard him. Because I was attuned to that kind of stuff, I knew he was there. For other people, they've heard him say other things, whole phrases in their hearts. It's not been audible. It seems like it isn't so loud. But it's not been audible. But God speaks and he moves. And, they, and when they hear their name, and when they know that God took the time to, to, to move on their behalf, that's enough. That's enough. Changes their whole life. Changes their whole life. Because that's what we need. We don't need signs and wonders. Simon thought he needed it. He was so intrigued by it that he was just mesmerized and amazed by it. He listened to the preaching of Jesus. He listened to the kingdom. But he was more amazed and mesmerized by the signs and wonders and powers and miracles 
And, and so, and these things were just simply going to be confirmation of the message that it's real and it's here. But he made it the main thing. But he, he believed in it so much that he followed Philip around, and he actually even was baptized. He was baptized, but his faith was focused on the power of signs and wonders. He was focused on wanting to yield, wield these kind of powers and have these powers. And so he saw Jesus, or he saw these powers that, that Philip had as means to an end, and something he could control in a way that he could even control others and how they thought about him. He didn't see the gospel as changing his heart, as bringing him into a love relationship with his creator. He didn't see it as an opportunity to humble himself in repentance and be forgiven of his sin and his slavery to sin. He didn't see it as an opportunity to know and serve his creator, an opportunity to receive new life, to be born again, to have eternal life and become a new creation. He didn't see it as that. He believed, but he didn't have a believing faith because he, he focused his belief on the wrong things. But many of the Samaritans we found in our passage, they did have a saving faith, didn't they? Yep, they did. They believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of Jesus, the good news of the kingdom, the power that was in the name of Jesus to transform a person's life. And these people, they confessed their sins. They did. They repented of their old ways of thinking and living. They actually said, no, I'm going to live and go a different direction now. And as a result, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. They followed the Lord in obedience in that and were marked as his person, his family, his, his, his disciple. But these people didn't stop there. And, and I'm here to tell you that we sometimes stop there in our salvation. We accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. We really know that he knows our name. We, we, we get that. We repent of our sins. Um, we receive that gift of eternal life. We, we confess him as Lord. We're baptized in his name, and we do that as a way to witness to the world that we're his disciple. And then we stop there. We stop there, but there's so much more yet to come. So much more yet to come. These people didn't stop there. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to open it to Acts chapter 8 again. We're not going to read the whole passage because you know the rest of the story, but we're going to look at verses 14 through 17. This is what God's Word says. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the Word of God, and remember, Jews were normally very, uh, very down on Samaritans. They were half-breeds. They were uh, apostates. Their faith wasn't true and wasn't right. But look how they responded, the church responded, because they realized that Jesus came to bring down the dividing wall between them and to make them one new people, the people of God under Christ. And so Jews and Gentiles could worship together. And so what did they do? It says they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Well, hold on a second. Didn't they have the Holy Spirit already? The Bible says they already believed and they were baptized, they were saved, they repented. Do you do that without the Holy Spirit? Hmm. And it says that they, that they laid their hands and they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. What a marvelous thing. They received the gift that Jesus had promised in Acts chapter 1, that they would receive power to be his witnesses, both far and wide, both near and far that they'd be able to walk in holiness and serve him. For anyone to have a saving faith, I'm here to tell you, we're going to start here with this whole discussion on really what does it mean to receive the Holy Spirit? Because these were believers who received the Holy Spirit. What does this really mean? And I'm here to tell you, though, anyone to have saving faith, 
to anyone here to know that God is there, that he came to earth to explain himself, and that he came in Jesus, and that we see God reflected in the life and teachings of Jesus because he was God in the flesh. For anyone to come to know that Jesus died on their behalf in payment for their rebellion against God, and then for breaking God's law, and for their sinful treatment of others, that those things deserve death, and Jesus died in payment for those things, that we might be forgiven. For any of us to know, to be able to respond in humble faith, to receive his forgiveness, to receive his love, to receive the gift of eternal life, and know that I can start with a blank slate again. I don't have to be guilty. I don't have to be ashamed anymore. I can be forgiven. For anyone to know that they are made a new creation in Christ. For anyone to know I am really adopted as a child of God. For anyone to really know that they're privileged to be a citizen of the kingdom of God and to be knit into his body, the church, that you're a living member of God's church. If you're going to know that, you're going to have to need the power and the present ministry of the Holy Spirit of God around you and within you. Somebody say amen to that. If you're going to know any of that stuff, the Holy Spirit has got to be around you and in you. So what does it mean to receive him? Well, the the Gospel Coalition, they summed up this about the Holy Spirit's role in our salvation. And I hope you understand this, because sometimes we seem to be foggy. We have this idea about what God has done and what Jesus has done, and then when it comes to the Spirit, we kind of check out. Don't check out. Don't check out, because that's God on earth within you. And, And it's important. So let's consider this. This is the Holy Spirit's role. And we have this up on a, you can go to the next slide, and if people like to take pictures, there's a rather long definition or summary. You can do that, but if not, you can just listen to it. Salvation is this. It's purposed by God the Father. He purposed it. He purposed it. It was in his heart. It was accomplished then by God the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus was the one who came. Jesus was the one who died. Jesus was the one who rose again for our salvation. That's it. But it's applied. Our salvation is applied to us and made real in us by the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit's agency, it says, but his presence in ministry and salvation, all that Christ has accomplished brings no value to us. No value. I mean, you might know it cognitively in your mind and be able to talk about that fact, but your salvation will will make no difference and have no no impact upon you without the Holy Spirit. Amen? So as Scripture uniformly presents, the Spirit graciously, effectively, and permanently gives us Christ Jesus. And every blessing that Jesus' death has secured. The Spirit gives that to you and to me. You need to see that. Our salvation is in Christ alone, but our salvation is by His Spirit alone. Do you see that? Do you buy me? Do you say amen to that? You read the Scripture, that's what the Scripture is going to teach you. The Holy Spirit has a definite and powerful role in our salvation. Without his, his ministry, none of us would be in Christ. None of us would turn to the Lord and be saved without his ministry. Sometimes as believers, we minimize and neglect the role of the Holy Spirit in our faith and our growth and our ministry. Yet Jesus, Jesus never minimized him ever. In fact, he taught his original disciples in John chapter 14 through 16 that the Holy Spirit is what? And you need to write some of these things down in your notes. The Holy Spirit is the advocate or comforter that will come to help you and be with you forever. Jesus wouldn't have said that if we didn't need it. We need him to understand our salvation. We need him to experience our salvation. He's a person. He's not an it. He's not a power. He's a person. 
and we need his help. We need him to be with us. The Bible said he will be with us forever. He is the spirit of truth, and he will teach and lead believers into all truth. It takes a while to learn all the truth we need to learn in Christ. Uh, I've been on the road of faith for a lot of years, and I'm still learning, and you are too, amen? And the Holy Spirit is the one who's doing it. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict people of sin. If you have any conviction about your sin, it's because the Holy Spirit is moving within you. And you can be thankful that you're not so calloused or numb to sin that you can sin without feeling anything. Be thankful for that, because being able to feel it and to be conflicted about it is evidence that you haven't shut the Holy Spirit out. He's still working. So thank God for that. He is the one who teaches believers about true righteousness. He'll show you how to be righteous. And lastly, Jesus said in Acts 1, that we are, his disciples are to wait in prayer to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And in this baptism, they would receive power. And they would be Jesus' witnesses both near and far. Because he goes, Jesus said, I'll be in you now. I won't just be with you, I'll be in you. And I'll be in you through my spirit. Wow. The apostles and the first century disciples, you know what? In addition to Jesus, they didn't minimize the Holy Spirit's role either. In fact, the New Testament book of Acts that we've been studying, it's not just called, it's called Acts to us, but for many it was called Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because if you notice, it's all about the work of the Holy Spirit. It's all about his work carrying on through his disciples until it ends. That's what it's about. I don't know if you've ever read it that way or saw it that way, but that is the way it is. So the truth is, no one enjoys the benefits of Christ's saving life, the benefits of his death or his resurrection apart from the Holy Spirit. Not one of us enjoy it without him. Therefore, with all this said, Have you received the Holy Spirit? Well, you, you, the Holy Spirit has worked within you and around you and in you and through you for you to be saved. Were the Samaritans, that, why did they have to receive the Holy Spirit? Weren't they believers already? Because Scripture teaches us that if we're going to be born again and become believers, it's because of the Spirit. So were they saved? Were they true believers? Some people used to believe, and commentators believe, that they weren't yet. And therefore, they needed the apostles to come and lay their hands upon them. But I'm here to tell you, no, they were. They were real believers. They were real believers. And they were going to heaven before John and Peter laid their hands on them that they might receive the promised gifts of the Holy Spirit. So I say yes. I hope you say yes, too. But I want you to know that pastor and author John Piper, who was a great theologian and a great biblical teacher, he also said yes, looking at this passage. And I want you to look at a few reasons why you can know these were true believers that were receiving the Holy Spirit, but had also already experienced the Holy Spirit in salvation. Here are just a few of the examples. In verse 6, and I may have put some of this up on a board, maybe. Did I? Uh, no, that's not it. You're too far ahead. Um, in verse 6, it says this that they paid close attention to what he, Philip, said. In the Greek, that word for paid close attention, and other translations will say something else, it's more accurately defined as they gave heed to what Philip said. That's an important word to put in your notes. They gave heed. That phrase is also used in Acts 16, 14, when it says about Lydia, and this is later in the book of Acts, the Lord opened her heart to give heed to what was said by Paul. See, there's a difference with hearing something and then knowing something and then giving heed to something. That's really important in us coming to faith. So giving our heartfelt heed to God's word and obeying God's word, it's a genuine sign of living faith and being saved. And these folks had done that. So that is a sign that you're saved, that the Spirit has moved and he's moving in you and you're saved. Verse 8 also says that they experienced much joy. 
just like the Ethiopian eunuch did at his conversion and, and later on, just a little bit longer in Acts chapter 8. The presence of major joy and peace in a person's heart is always a telltale sign that they have been saved and they are blessed. In fact, that's what I experienced for the next week after I discovered on Monday that the decision I had made on Sunday, I was truly a, new, a, a brand new creation. I went the rest of the week smiling and laughing in joy like never before because the Spirit had made me new and I was saved. So if you experience joy in the Lord, if you've ever experienced that as you put your faith in Him, you can be certain you are saved and the Spirit is with you and has blessed you. Verse 12 also says this, they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They were not focused on the power of signs and wonders. They were focused, like Simon was, they were focused on the truth of the gospel. Being forgiven, being made new, knowing God, and being known. That's what they were focused on, because that's really what we need. That's really what lights our faith up, not these other things. And then in verse 16, it says that they were baptized in the name of Jesus, and when Peter and John came down to lay hands on them, there's no mention that they were baptized again, right? They were already baptized once in the name of Jesus. But remember, if you look forward in Acts chapter 19, you'll find out that Paul rebaptized disciples who had only been baptized in, the, in John's baptism. They, did, they weren't baptized in the name of Jesus, so Paul did rebaptize them in the name of Jesus. But these folks were already baptized in the name of Jesus. So all this suggests that the Samaritans were true believers. They were believers when John and Peter came and laid their hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit. So, this, so there's something going on here that's different. I remember beginning to notice this when I was in high school. I'd only been in the Lord about a year, year and a half. But I was reading the Scriptures. See, this is what happened when you, when you truly read the Bible and think about it. You begin to have questions. You begin to be opened up to new things. And the Spirit begins to move and take you to new places. So if you want to really grow in the Lord and you want to be blessed in your faith... Get in the Bible and get yourself a Bible you can read. Because you'll never become the man or woman of God that God's called you to be outside of His Scripture and staying away from it. It'll never happen. So get a Bible and stay in it. And, and God will begin to move. Well, I got in it, and God began to move. So these people were moving too because they were in God's Word and they were taking heed to what, Paul, what Philip was saying. So what we discover is, is, and what we can conclude is that Peter and John coming and laying hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit, this was an experience that these folks were having after their conversion. Are you with me still? They were saved. They were converted. The Spirit was moving. The Spirit was in them. The Spirit made them born again. But they were receiving something else. You know what we used to, we've called this? It's been called within the Church of God movement, but also within other Wesleyan-type denominational movements. It's been called a second work of grace. There is an indication in Scripture that there are second works of grace. In fact, not just a second, but there could be numerous works of grace as we continue to move on. We try to define and understand this movement as believers mature in Christ, and I'm here to say that I find you get kind of filled and re-anointed time and time again as you follow the Lord, and you walk in His Spirit. But there is a definite second work of grace. It's, a, it's, it's either an immediate or it's a next step uh, that comes a bit later in your walk with Christ. It used to be that folks would accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. They'd be baptized. When they'd come out of the waters of baptism, they'd walk over and someone would lay hands on them and would pray for them to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We sometimes miss that. And that's a missing link in our presentation of the gospel. 
And, and I've found that to be true as I've gone along. We've got to pray for people to receive the gift of the Spirit afterwards. Now, whether that gift comes immediately or comes later, that's up to God. And sometimes it does come later. But they need to be prayed for to receive that gift, and they need to pray and seek that. It's a second work of grace. So it doesn't mean because you receive this second work of grace that you'll never make a mistake or you'll never sin. It doesn't mean that you don't need to mature or grow up in Jesus. We all come from our own backgrounds. So it doesn't just make you perfect and it doesn't make you all that. Because you receive it, it's just the necessary next step to take. The Spirit in His fullness is for you, it's for me, it's available to you, it's available to me, and we can be filled over and over again. Have you received that gift? I remember as a high school student saying, hold on a second, nobody's ever talked about this. Why is that? Well, because it was so foggy and nobody really understood. And, they, and if you get into church religion-y stuff, right, everybody gets spazzed out about stuff. And, and, they, and they, they get worried about talking about certain things. That, oh man, that's charismatic, or oh man, that's Southern Baptist, or oh man, that's this and that. It's all that. You know, they, get, they, they just run around knee-jerking about everything, but the Scripture's trying to teach us the truth. And what I discovered is there is more. There's, there's continually more. Continually more. Continually more. Consequently, the, the question you're going to have in your mind, if you're paying attention to me, unless I got you sleeping already, here's the next questions that are on the mind of people. Have I received the second work of grace? Have I received the gift of the Holy Spirit? I don't know. Can you answer that? Have I received the promise of the Father? The gift of the Holy Spirit and power to be his witness and to reflect his kingdom in my life and for the lost. Have I received that gift of power or have I been trying to do the Christian life on my own power? By my own best thinking. You know, we try that anyhow. Even when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, we still try because we have to grow and we always want to constantly try to do, accomplish by the flesh what God wants to accomplish by the Spirit. It's the way human beings are. You're no different. None of us are different. We're all the same. But have you received this? I want you to look at some things throughout the book of Acts, because Luke was a great doctor, and he, and he threw in a lot of great facts and details because we needed them. And he describes the, the receiving of the Holy Spirit this way. And so I want you to consider these things as you consider whether you received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, here's the first thing, was, was a gift. Do we got that up there? Yeah, there we go. There's all the different terms that he uses. The first one was the Holy Spirit will be given, will be given to people. It's a gift. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. But you've got to wait on it. You've got to receive it. Nobody's going to make you receive it or take it. And you've got to open it up. You've got to want it. Right? So it's a gift. Number two, the Holy Spirit falled on people. You look back at Pentecost in chapters 2. Chapter, well, you go from 1 and 2, but go to 2. You look at it coming, it fell upon them. You ever had anything fall upon you? I have things fall on me all the time. I had a piece of sheetrock this last Monday fall on me. It, it didn't feel good, but I knew it happened because I had to go and cut two more and fashion them different and put it up because of the, the ding-dong sheetrock fell and broke. So when things fall on you, you know it, don't you? Well, it says it fell upon them. The Holy Spirit then came upon people. You ever had something come upon you? Come on, we have. Don't you know it when things come upon you? <laughs> Unless you're numb and asleep or whatever, there are a lot of things that come upon us. Then the next, number four, the Holy Spirit's being poured out on people. We've all done, remember when we were all doing that, uh, 
Oh, what was that challenge? The bucket challenge? What was that? The ice bucket challenge. We did a video on that too. And I think I poured it on Reese, I want to think, and so I'm in that. We did the ice bucket challenge. When it's being poured on you, you know it, don't you? Yeah. Then, finally, the last two, being baptized. I don't know about you, but when I was baptized, I knew it. When you're baptized, you know it. And then finally, being filled with the Holy Spirit. When I'm full, I know it. When you're full, you know it. You see what I'm getting at? All these ways of describing the coming of the Spirit are found in like six different places in the book of Acts. I just want you to know something. When when it came, every one of these six instances, they knew it. They experienced effects. It wasn't just something they mentally gave a sense to. Oh, yeah, well, I know and I believe I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit has come upon me. I believe it's been poured out on me. Um, You know, but you have absolutely nothing to point to other than the fact that you just believe by faith that it's happened to you because of what God's Word says. Well, that's not biblical. That's not what the Bible says. I I want you to take a look at these six different places. First, remember in chapter 1 of Acts at Pentecost, how'd they know that the Holy Spirit came on them? One, it wasn't a psychedelic experience for them, and they weren't on hallucinogens, but tongues of fire came into their midst and lighted on all of them. So they saw it, and then what happened? They began to speak in languages that were not their original languages, and they began to praise God, his mighty works, and his power, and witness for him in those praises. And they did that spontaneously. They didn't previously have that ability, but it was given to them. They do it. There were effects. It was all over the place. You could call them special effects. Number two, in Samaria, there is something so obvious in that experience in chapter 8.18 that Simon the sorcerer saw it. He was amazed by it. He wanted to buy the power to make that happen to whomever he wanted to make that happen for. So Simon could see it. That means unsaved people can notice it. There's something going on. They noticed it. They noticed it. I can remember uh, when, I was, when I was seeking the Lord, and then I prayed, and I was at a baptismal service on a retreat down by the river, and I had been talking to people because the Lord had been speaking to me, and so I asked some people to pray for me, and they prayed for me, and I remember uh, the person who prayed for me. And they could tell something had happened, and they go, brother, if we get any more joyful, and if you smile any bigger, we're going to think something, something's really gone on with you. We can tell, and I could tell. Because the Lord witnessed to me that he had filled me again. And he had given me that gift he'd been telling me he was leading me to. It was there. Well, then in Samaria, at the house of Cornelius, you've got, they're just preaching away in, in Acts chapter 10, verse 46. And what happens? All of a sudden, the room erupts with people speaking in tongues and praising God. I've never preached a message where I've had people do that spontaneously all of a sudden. Because the Spirit moves. But it can happen. And it happened for them. In Ephesus, the fourth instance, was in Ephesus in chapter 19, where Paul found the disciples of John the Baptist. And and he re-baptized them, and then he laid hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit. And guess what? They spoke in tongues and they prophesied. That means they brought messages from God that were for that time and place for people. And they spoke wisdom for others as they had need. It was evidence of the Holy Spirit. And then after Paul's conversion, there's an extraordinary boldness and an empowering to witness that Paul immediately has. Because the person who prayed for him says, I'm here because you're going to be saved. You're going to be filled with the Spirit. And Paul was, and Paul totally changed after that. And then finally, in Acts chapter 5, Luke says that God gave the Holy Spirit to everyone who is obeying him. Obedience. Obedience to God is a mark of his presence. 
having a desire to please him and obey him, that is a mark of his presence. It is. So if you feel like you're just fighting and you're struggling to obey the Lord and wanting to do things right, and it always seems to be just a work and an effort, and you can't do it, might I suggest that maybe you have yet to receive the Holy Spirit? the gift that God has promised? Because you shouldn't have to fight that hard, although we do it at times to want to obey the Lord. But if we find ourselves rejecting what he's saying over and over again, we're resisting the Holy Spirit. Do we realize that? Because he's trying to move in our lives and lead us into all truth. Thus, in every case the Holy Spirit's, of, of the Holy Spirit's coming or being received in the book of Acts, there's definite effects, aren't there? You can point to evidence. You can see that these people have received the Spirit. And and there's a lot of different things and evidence that show that. Sometimes they're speaking in tongues and prophecy. Other times there's free praising for the great things God has done. There's usually joy, and joy tends to be a very, very important marker. Boldness and power and witness. There's heeding God's word and obedience to him. There are a lot of these kinds of things that occur as the Spirit comes. But people can tell something has happened. And I don't want to leave out, there are even times when there are miracles and signs and wonders. There are those times. But those things aren't as great of an evidence as the fruit of the Spirit. See, because you can, like I said before, you can fake signs and wonders. You can do it from a power that is not God, even. But you cannot fake or replicate the fruit of the Spirit. There's no way. There's no way. And so that is really the sign. So the point is this. Luke expects there to be some kind of effect. Kind of effect when a person receives it. And, but Luke does not put a hard and fast rule in how it happens. Or or whether the Holy Spirit comes when you first believe, which he can, or the, where, where you just go to where he's worked and you come to salvation and then you pray to receive the gift of the Spirit or the power and you get it right then, and then you keep moving on and keep getting filled over and over again. Or if there's a delay between the two. And often there is a delay between the two because we're growing in knowledge and understanding of our faith. But one thing is clear, however it comes, Luke expects, the believers expect in Scripture, that receiving the Holy Spirit, however we receive him, it is to be real, to be an identifiable experience of people receiving the living God, not just a logical inference from a human act of will. It's not just something we infer. It's real, it's identifiable, it's an experience. So I'm here to tell you, that you can expect that. Will it be otherworldly? Will it be like, uh, like some kind of musician, like we've all of a sudden gone to a magic show? No. But it will be identifiable, because God will draw you close. So I ask you again that question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit after you believed? After you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and prayed to receive him as Lord and Savior, did you subsequently after that pray and wait on to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and have you received him? Simple question. I'm telling you, disciples, you want it. You want it. Because that's what matters. Signs and wonders and miracles don't matter. I could be healed of something today, and then next week I'm going to have something else I need healed from. Right? And I'm going to die from something eventually, anyhow. So see what I mean? But to know that God is with me, to know I'm forgiven, to have the peace that surpasses all understanding, to be able to see others come into that new birth and find Jesus as Lord and Savior before they die and have to face judgment. Now that's wonderful, and that's powerful. And that's what we need, in addition to all the other stuff. So you might 
this morning, as we kind of conclude here, you might answer this question, well, yeah, his coming was not just something I inferred intellectually. I did believe that, and I did seek after it after I was saved. And, and, and if you did do that, you can know that he's with you in, in a few different ways, right? You can know that, and, and you can identify that. If you had supernatural joy, and you're living in supernatural joy, and if supernatural joy came into your heart and it moved through your body as you waited for God in prayer, and, and as you received the Spirit and you sensed that, that can tell you you've received the Spirit because He came in joy. You just need to grow in knowledge so you understand what you're experiencing. Because sometimes we just don't even understand what we're experiencing. And so we need to understand that. Or if you had an inclination that you, you knelt before the Lord and you said, Father, I'm waiting for this gift that you've given. I want to receive it. I want to walk in your fullness. So I pray for the power and baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then what you discovered after that time, you would just have a deep abiding love for other people, a love that wants to sacrifice for them, a, a love that even you have for the Lord where you just want to obey him and nothing matters other than obeying him and being holy unto him. I'm here to tell you, that's an indication the Spirit has come and is coming. Or, or maybe you've, you've seen the Spirit of faith and courage come over you, where before you had fear, but now you have no fear and you dare to risk to step out in the name of Jesus, to give as he's called you to give, to witness for him as he's called you to witness. Um, you know, some of us have never tithed in our life. We don't feel like we can afford it. I'm here to tell you a part of that is because you haven't received the power of the Holy Spirit yet. Because when you receive him, you know that God doesn't, he doesn't keep back for you any good thing. And you want to give just like he gives. You want to, and, and you want to grow in giving so that you give even more. See, that's one area where he leads us into being cheerful and abundant, generous givers. Because the Holy Spirit has come. And then on the other side, too, he opens our mouths so that we just want to share what God is doing in our hearts and in our lives. And we want to share the good news we're, we're getting stoked about as we read the Scripture because it's coming alive like it never came alive before. He's there. He's there. And though I know that the gifts of the Spirit are not necessarily the greatest evidence, they are an evidence. And the fruit of the Spirit are, too. And they show that, that God's power has come upon you. Um, but other of us here, we may not have assurance that we received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's only because you simply didn't know about this gift, or maybe it's because you've been running from him. You've been not heeding his word. I'm here to tell you that blocks the Spirit's movement like nothing else. Jesus said, to believe on me is to obey me and do as, as I command. If you're not heeding his word, you, you're doing some things that are blocking your spirit from moving. And, and so he's not going to fill you. And I've prayed and laid hands on people before to receive the Holy Spirit in the very same place. One person over here receives the Spirit, and boy, <clears throat> you know it. Over here, nothing. And what you find sometimes is that folks... They're not ready to come clean with the Lord. They're not ready to be humble and real with him. And so God's waiting, waiting for you to be willing to obey because he's not going to push himself on you. So if things are blocking you, here are some of the things that block us. Ephesians 4.30, write this in your note. Ephesians 4.30, Paul tells us, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, who is your mark of ownership. Do not grieve him. The Holy Spirit is a being, and he's a person, and you can hurt him. And you can give him pain, and he feels it. The scripture tells us that we can cause him, him pain, and we cause him pain when we ignore him, when we leave him out, or we reject him. And when we live our lives or carry out our ministry by any effort or strategy other than through his power or through his word, we grieve him. You don't have to grieve him, but that blocks it if you're dead set to do it that way. 
1 Thessalonians 5.19 is another one that talks about blocking. Do not quench the Holy Spirit, Paul says to the Thessalonians. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold to what is good. Hey, we're going to get prophecies sometimes, and, and it's not going to be from the Lord, and it's not going to be right. That's okay. We test it. We keep what's good, and we reject every kind of evil or the thing that was misled. We reject it. But how do we quench the Spirit? The literal idea of quenching is to suppress for the purpose of extinguishing. You can put that in your, your notes. To suppress for the purpose of extinguishing something. I'm not ready for it. I don't want it. I'm going to do this. This. We all do that. I, God called me on that in college. Because I was doing this to his call on my life because I'd made some statements, and I wasn't willing to walk in obedience, and he said, that's why it's been dark, and you haven't been able to find your way. I need you to humble yourself and repent of this, call it out, and then submit yourself to following me again. If you do, my power will be there for you. Huh. I thought I was zealous, but God said, no, you're quenching my spirit. You're quenching me. That Greek word literally means to stifle. Are you stifling or hindering the spirit in any way? Do you put a straight jacket on him? Do you try to resolve the situations of your life by good works rather than through his power? Do you quench him? You know, we do because we're afraid. And we have to grow in confidence. God's good with that, but just know, don't quench him. Let that spirit flow. Let that artesian well go. But, but also know that it's, you, you, you have limits. So do it with all sense of propriety and with order. That's what Paul says. Do it with order and propriety. And so the scripture calls us to completely yield or surrender or submit our whole self to him. And when we do, instead of grieving him or quenching him, what we do is we bless him. And we open the door of the fruit of his spirit and his gifts we do that instead of stifling or suppressing him. And, and his will and his gifts and his fruit can now flow. So, have you received the Holy Spirit? I want us to stand in prayer as we close this morning. As we close this morning, there, there isn't going to be any music unless Jason wants to come up and play it. Um, so there's not going to be any emotional draw to this thing. Um, but there is going to be a very real draw. If you want to come forward this morning, I would be delighted to lay hands on you and ask others to come and lay hands on you to receive the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is with you. Maybe you've received him, but you haven't been obeying him, and you've been quenching him, resisting him, grieving him. But this morning you want to repent and you want him to fill you anew. You can come also. And if you really want that, there'll be no shame in coming. Because God will know. He sees. He's here. And he'll honor that. And he'll honor that faith. And we'll lay hands on you and we'll pray for you. And the gift of the Spirit will come in due time. Maybe this morning. Maybe with gifts. Maybe with fruit. I don't know, but he'll come. So this morning, before we close in prayer, if you would like to have folks lay hands on you and pray for you, you come forward. You come forward. Amen. And Lord, may you open up the doors of obedience for your people to know that this is their day, their opportunity, and that you will not deny them what they seek in faith because you love them and you want them to come. You come. If you need a fresh infilling of the Spirit, if you need um, that power that God has asked us and, or has commanded us to ask for and to wait for, you come. I'm just going to give you only a few more moments. Don't be ashamed and don't be afraid to come because the Lord is good and the Lord cares. I want to invite other people to come and lay hands on these folks who have come. Because we're going to agree in the name of Jesus 
that the Spirit has filled them. But I don't want you to come and lay hands on them if you have not been filled with the Spirit, because you need to be filled with the Spirit. You come and allow people. Um, that sense of humility to allow other people to pray for you, that shows, a, that, I mean, that shows humility like nothing else, and God loves a humble heart. So God wants to move with that. Amen? So you come. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that as we come in your name as your children, we want all that you have for us, Lord. We want to not only believe in you, we want to serve you, we want a fellowship with you. We want to know you intimately. We do, Lord. We want to hear your voice and the voice of another not follow. We want to have power to be your witnesses, power to enjoy you. We want the fruit of the Spirit to flow deeply through us and out of us. Lord God, we just want to be all that you've called us to be. And so Jesus, these folks that have come in faith, for Michelle and for Reese and for Brady and uh, for Paige and Nina and... Sarah, and Nancy, and whoever else that might be here coming. God, in the name of Jesus, we ask you to come. Holy Spirit, hear their prayer. Holy Spirit, come upon them in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, show them that you're with them, whether you showed them this morning or you showed them uh, this week or in this month. Show them that you've come. Father, I sense that you're coming. And so, Father, pour out your blessing upon them in the name of Jesus and give them the desire of their heart. Let them know your love and your mercy, Lord. Let it come in the name of Jesus. We bless you, Father, for it. And so, Lord, we just want to receive and we're going to wait. We're going to walk in your obedience. We're going to walk in your word. And we're going to thank you for the gift that you've given. So bless these believers of yours who've come in faith. And then use them mightily, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. So Father, we're just grateful. We know that it's not about our emotion. It's not about our own strength right now. It's just about your promise. We've obeyed you. We've come to humble ourselves before you and before others. And now we know, Lord, we seek the promise that you have promised us. We receive it in the name of Jesus, and we all said together, Amen. Amen.